This is the Hot Fish Conserved Podcast. Joined today with Ethan Evans, yours truly, and a special guest. So yeah, this is the same Sydney that's been on before, previously referred to as Sydney Doll when we introduced her, but we are now married. We got married. A couple months ago. What's it? A couple. It's been like four. I know. Basically like old married couple by now. But yeah, so we got married in August. One thing I want to say that was cool, Sydney, let me fish. Well, wait, back up. We got married in August in the North Cascades, Washington, Northwest Washington, and it was so, so fun. We did a wedding weekend, so as you all know, I'm an elopement photographer, so of course we had an elopement, and we ended up doing a Thursday, Friday, Saturday kind of thing, and Thursday was our elopement day, so we did all of our favorite things. We got ready, we did a first look, and then we drove up a four by four road to a trailhead. And at that trailhead, there were a couple little lakes. So we pack rafted and we fly fished, and then we hiked six miles and set our vows on a mountaintop. So it was awesome. And so what Ethan was about to get at was I allowed him, no, we just did something we love to do, but we fished on our wedding day. So it was super, super fun. And I think that's something that relates to this podcast. In a wedding dress you were fishing. I fished in, and pack rafted in a wedding dress and hiked six miles in a wedding dress and you hiked in a suit. I know. Isn't that crazy? But I guess the one thing, yeah, we caught a fish that day too. We did catch one little fish in this tiny alpine lake. Yeah, it was cool. That's all we could have hoped for. Yeah. I don't think many people have caught a fish on their wedding day before. No. So it was awesome. Yeah. So that was a really unique experience. But the main point of this podcast, I guess, did you, anything else you want to share about the wedding? No. It went good. There was no objections. Nothing crazy happened. So I guess the, really the main point of the podcast we wanted to talk about was our honeymoon. And we did our honeymoon in September. So we got married in August, but my busy season is summer as a photographer. So I, when we first got engaged, I gave Ethan literally two sets of two weeks. And I said, here's when I have two weeks off at one time. Make your pick. And so he chose August for our wedding. And then the second set of two weeks I had off, we ended up choosing for our honeymoon. And we're not big beach people. We're not big relaxation people. We like to actually hike and do things and explore, not just sit around. And so we were having a really hard time figuring out where we wanted to go for our honeymoon. And first we were like, oh, we both really want to go to New Zealand. Like, let's think about New Zealand. And then we started doing research on it. And it was like, this is so, so far. And neither one of us, I mean, we both like to travel, but neither one of us likes the build up to a super long, it was like 35 hours to get to New Zealand. And we just didn't have that in us this year. And so I was like, well, we already are planning to go to Alaska. Why don't we just make that our honeymoon? So we spent a little bit more money. We planned more excursions and we made it into our honeymoon. And so if you remember, we got engaged in Alaska last year. And we just thought it was fitting. We love Alaska. Let's just make it our honeymoon. And, you know, we just love it there. So might as well ball out on a trip and spend a bunch of money and do everything we really want to do. And that was kind of why we chose Alaska for a honeymoon. It wasn't really it was kind of just, okay. let's just do it. There was no reason behind it. It was just like, okay, we have two weeks off. We're already going there. Let's just make it our honeymoon. Well, then we'll talk about this a little later. We were just watching some videos one day and we came across a Wildfly YouTube video that was a fishing lodge in Alaska and we watched it and I was like, you know, how much do you think that would actually be? And we looked it up after seeing that video and it was really reasonable. And we were like, screw it. Let's book it. Let's do it. Let's see if they have availability when we're going to be there. And they did. So we'll talk about why we chose that lodge a little bit later. But we basically chose Alaska for our honeymoon. We visited some friends. We went to Homer and we did a fishing trip, which I feel like is every guy's dream. Come on. I'm the perfect wife, I guess. Just kidding. But. Well, I guess one thing I like to say about that, too. I think we, like you said about the wedding, we kept it a lot like us. And I think that's a big thing with the honeymoon. We kept it a lot of things that we wanted to do. And we kept it really like unique and true to ourselves. We didn't want to just like people are like my 
brother-in-law, soon-to-be brother-in-law, he was like, man, you're going to Alaska? So many clothes, like as a joke. But he really meant like, why aren't you going and laying on a beach somewhere? Yeah, I mean, that was everybody we told we were going to Alaska. I mean, especially like in September, right? When it's not peak travel season. But we like the cold. We, We like the cold. We like... Less people. Less people. It was shoulder season, right? It was September, so... We really love traveling in the shoulder season. We really love Alaska. We really love the cold. We really love fishing. It was just kind of perfect. Yeah. So I guess now we'll kind of get into our, our itinerary, kind of do a day by day, um, highlight some things that we thought were cool and unique. And Let's do a disclaimer. Okay. It was really fucking awesome. It was. It was really awesome. Like yeah. it was one of the coolest trips we've ever taken. And we've traveled a lot. I mean, not internationally, but like... We've done tons of road trips. We've seen so many national parks. We've fished a lot. And this was probably the coolest trip we've ever done. Not just planning. Like, I feel like a lot of it was just kind of like we planned it and forgot about it. Yeah. This was just like it exceeded our expectations. So we're super excited to tell you about it. Yeah. I think like just kind of like set the stage a little more. Like, I thought it was a perfect trip length. Like, it was one of those trips where like you were like, dang, I wish I could. I wish I could have stayed another week. And it wasn't one of those trips where you're like, dang, I wish I was already home. So I think the trip length was good. And I think the number of things we did was like perfect. Because I think sometimes we like to overwhelm ourselves and cr- like cram ourselves so much where you're like, oh my goodness, like I wish we could just lay in bed today. But I don't know. I think we had enough downtime with this one. That was definitely a good trip in that regard. Well, in a few days at the beginning, we spent with friends. So it was kind of like we're recharging, we're seeing people you know, we love to see we're in this beautiful place. And then the second half of our trip was kind of the busy part, but we had relaxed so much before that it was like, okay, cool. Let's just do it. Yeah. So to start off with the itinerary. So yeah, like Sydney said, we flew in middle of September. So around the, actually September 14th, we flew in, we spent some time in Eagle river where our friends live and we got to spend a couple of days with them and then we spent some days pack rafting and they actually never pack rafted, which is something that's kind of funny. I know we haven't talked about that much of the podcast before, but Sydney and I have these inflatable pack rafts and we've used them all over Montana this year. And then we actually flew with them to Alaska. Because they're only like five or two. I think they're five pounds, the yeah. ones we brought. So they're not big. The paddles and the pack rafts and life jackets fit in a duffel bag. So we just you know, bring it on board. It works out. I mean, yeah, it was super fun because like we got access to a bunch of spots that you would never get to otherwise from shore. I mean, there wasn't. No. And we haven't done like crazy trips with them. Like we haven't done crazy river floats or like gone anywhere crazy with them. But this was really fun to just travel to Alaska with them. And we even brought them to Canada a few weeks ago. So they're really fun. Highly recommend. Look it up. We have Coco Pelly pack rafts. It's great. So yeah, we hung out with friends. I think a highlight that we always do when we're in Alaska is we go to Moose's Tooth Pizza. I feel like it's a total tourist trap, but you have to do it. It's one of our favorite things. The pizza is awesome. The atmosphere is awesome. The Diablo sticks are next level. Highly recommend. I'm gluten-free and it's awesome gluten-free pizza. So the 14th, 15th, 16th, 17th, I mean, we got in there super late the first night, but we hung out with friends the first three days, pack rafted, taught them to fly fish a little bit, caught some fish near Eagle River. And then I actually convinced Ethan to do a little photo shoot. So on the 18th, we hired someone to do a little Alaska honeymoon photo shoot up at Hatcher Pass, which is where we took our engagement photos too. So it was awesome. And then the 19th is when we left Eagle River, left our friends, and we started our way to Homer. And we chose Homer because our first trip to Alaska, we only got a couple days there and we really felt like there was more to see and more to do. So we're like, you know, let's just go there. We'll stay on the end of the Homer spit. We'll enjoy a few days there, see what we weren't able to see the first time. And so, yeah, we stayed on the end of the spit, which if you don't know, it's a little tiny peninsula. So a spit in Homer, there's a bunch of shops and all that kind of stuff. We ate lots of seafood. That was more of our honeymoon type thing, I would say. We relaxed and we ate seafood and we shopped. But it really was kind of a ghost town because it was shoulder season. So a lot of things had just closed, which we love traveling during shoulder season. Um, So that was awesome. And then I had planned a 
scenic flight and a bear flight from Homer to Katmai National Park, which if you've ever seen the National Geographic photos of the bears eating all the salmon in the waterfall, that is where we went. And we planned that flight for the 20th, but weather had other plans. Basically, we showed up. They said we were going. We got on the plane. We flew halfway and had to turn around. And so luckily, we had been to Alaska before. And so we knew if you have any big ticket items planned, you should leave a day or two afterwards so that you can reschedule because it happens a lot. Weather there is not always great. So reschedules happen a lot. And so I left a day the day after that open. And good thing we did because the next morning is when we actually got to fly out. So we did our bear viewing at Katmai National Park at Brooks Falls. It was a super, super awesome, awesome day. Just as a photographer, you know, the big long lens, I was shooting bears. I was seeing them eat salmon. It was the the flight was amazing. So, Ethan, do you want to talk a little bit more about Brooks Falls and our experience there? Yeah. So, I mean, when you fly in, well, first of all, just the flying was just crazy. I mean, it's a long flight. It's like an hour and a half. Yeah. It's an hour and a half flight and you're in a beaver, they call them, float plane. And you're pretty crammed in. And September's already a cold month um, for Alaska. And we were not prepared, I guess, for how cold it was going to be in the plane. So that was one shock thing. And then it was always funny. You know, there's no air traffic control when you're flying around these kind of places. They're just communication between the pilots. And basically, you kind of hear the pilots communicate with each other. And then, I mean, it's kind of funny too. Like, you don't really know where you're going. Like, you know, I feel like you're so fortunate anymore when you fly on commercial planes where you can like track yourself where you're flying. Like, we really had no idea like where we were at in the sky, like how much longer was left or anything. And basically, like, you're like, you kind of see the pilot like descending. You're like, oh, I must be getting close. But that's kind of besides the point of float planes. But then you basically, it doesn't look like anything, right? Like it looks like just kind of like the rest of Alaska when you're flying over it almost. No, uh, it was awesome. Well, it was awesome, but it wasn't like you were like, oh my, that's Katmai right there. Yeah, I guess we sky. had no idea like yeah. what to look for, but we were just enjoying the views of, you know, the snow covered mountains, yeah. the glaciers that you'd pass, the volcanoes, the snow covered peaks, the glaciers, the fields below you're trying to spot wildlife and whales it was awesome well i guess okay and like one other thing i guess i like to say too is like when you go to yellowstone glacier any of these national parks it's like 30 minutes to glacier 30 miles to glacier whatever i think it's just funny when you fly into these places because you're like bam i'm now at katmai it's not like there's a big sign that says katmai national well, you're park in the air. i know but it's just like funny to think about it's like you start in homer and then you end up at katmai so basically you land the land the beaver the float plane in, in the lake. in the lake and then the, they taxi you to the shore and then you get out and you're like okay there's a bear paw there's another bear paw oh there's a bear way down shore down there and, and you can see it and you can see it yeah i mean there's just bear sign everywhere and then you walk in there's like these little buildings so you walk along the shore and then you walk off the shore probably like 20 yards and there's a couple buildings so there's a gift shop they do a little orientation and you see all these fences up and maybe people don't know they got bear fences around every building there and then they also have places for you to store your food i mean you cannot have food on you when you're walking around at katmai and there's only designated areas to eat the food well and brooks falls is like world renowned right yeah. it's a super popular place and we were there in the shoulder season so there weren't that many people there and it was just funny because you see all these buildings and all these bear fences and they're like, yeah, literally bears will just walk right up to these buildings. Like when people are in them, when it's tourist season, like, and people are dumb. So like we have to tell people what to do. You can have water on you, but yeah. even like hand sanitizer and all that stuff, they say to just, you know, leave your food, leave your bag in this building and get it when you come back. But it was such a wild like orientation they show you like a 10 minute video and they try to hype you up right like they try to say like here's what's going to happen out there here's what we don't want to happen and it's kind of nerve-wracking even though we've been around bears before and we recreate in bear country but 
this was just such a weird environment because it was also such a controlled environment. Like, there were rangers walking everywhere, there were fences, there were viewing platforms, but, like, a bear was, you know, f 10 yards away. And it's like, this is so weird that I'm this close to a bear, but it's so controlled that you don't even think twice about it. And the bear doesn't even think twice about you because... They have just a single track mind on salmon. 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 Salmon, salmon. Coastal brown bears, all they think about is salmon. They don't care about humans. Like, there were people fishing yeah. in the river there so close to bears and ethan can talk more about that but it was a super weird setup like ethan said jurassic park vibes like they have super heavy doors that look like you're trying to keep dinosaurs out of i mean it's just like and it, i think the weird thing too is like not not saying this is true for all national parks but like glacier right you have so many different paths to go on these hiking trails and there's like there's a hike here there's a hike here and you go to katmai and it's like Here's a very beaten path that you walk down to get to platform A. And then there, here's another really like designated path to go to the falls. But also you might run into a bear on that path. So here's what you do. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's like they don't allow bear spray nope. or anything like that because the bears don't care. Right. I mean, like obviously don't approach the bear. But like if I were to come across some of those big ass bears that we were seeing on that path, I don't know what I would have done. Oh, yeah. I mean... I don't know. It was just, it was wild like that. And like Cindy said with the fishing, so the Brooks River there, that was some of the most wild thing that I think I've ever seen. People fishing so close to bears. I think it was a real 50 yards. You had to be away. Yeah, from you had to stay 50 yards away. So we saw this whole group of fly fishermen going out to fish and we were watching them from afar, like through binoculars and stuff. And if a bear would even step, you know, a few feet toward them, they'd have to step a few feet away. Because the rangers are so serious about it. Like, you have to stay 50 yards. I think it was 50 yards. That think, seems far, though. No, because in Glacier, they say like 100. Okay. Well, it was just funny because a bear would start walking toward them, like trying to get to a different spot in the river. And they would literally have to stop what they're doing, obviously, and walk, you know, 10, 15 yards further back. I mean, like they were getting like one to two cast in, drift it, and then it's like reel up and move. I mean, it was not very efficient fishing. Like, I don't think I'd want to do it there. I mean, cool experience to say you had, yeah. but it was, I, I think it's more of a hassle than a good time. Yeah. I mean, like, I'm sure the guides are like very, you know, aware. And I mean, I know you, I think you can do it DIY there. I wouldn't want to do it DIY, but yeah, I don't know. It was just one of those things. It's like, that was a place where I see like, I want to go bear viewing. I don't want to go fishing. So and in terms of bear viewing, I think we weren't expecting to see as many bears because of the time of year. Yeah. yeah. But we still saw probably 15 bears. And w when you say time of the year, it's not even necessarily like it's more the time of the salmon run. Yes. So we were there during like silver salmon run, not sockeye. So it was the end of the sockeye. Like they were all turning red, becoming zombie fish. At Katmai, they were still kind of living, but they were more at the mouth of the river compared to, you know, migrating up the river. And so the bears were were more at the first viewing platform rather than up at the falls where you see them in the National Geographic videos and photos and stuff. And so we actually were maybe a 10 minute walk from the float plane and we saw all of the bears. So that was super awesome. And the photos that we got of the fish in the river just the swarms of them, the schools just huddling together and then a bear would, you know, swim up and dive down and grab a fish and it was so cool to watch. Yeah, I guess I don't really know where the bears stage at throughout like, you know, when it's like really popular in the run. I know there are a lot at the falls, but I think it was really cool almost the perspective we were able to gain because the first platform you're walking over and I mean, you can see like basically right underneath you where the bears are swimming and you can see the bears just actually like going for salmon because these salmon aren't super lively. So they can actually kind of go down and swoop them right from the water. They don't have to wait at the falls from the jump or anything. Well, and it was so weird because, yeah, you're standing on this platform that's probably 10 feet above the water and a bear's swimming underneath you. Yeah. Like we're literally five feet from a bear. And I think it really turned to be like some cool pictures because I think, you know, if you want to get some good pictures at Brooks Falls, you're bringing a big lens. And that's what you kind of read about. So I think it was just cool to see that perspective. You didn't even need binoculars. Like, we got to see some really cool stuff close up. The pictures we got are insane. Like, 
there was one bear. I was taking gifs, gifs, I don't know what to call them, but there was one bear that literally was sitting maybe 10 feet from us at that first viewing platform, just like sitting in the water, tearing apart this fish. And I took this awesome burst of photos of him literally ripping into this fish and shaking it around. And I mean, like we were close enough to get like sprayed by their shake, their head shakes of water. It was amazing. And so definitely worth the money. I mean, it was expensive. It was like $1,200 a person and you get three hours Three hours, right? Wasn't that it? Including like the orientation and everything. But we would not want to be there in the summer. Like we are so happy we went at this time of year and I don't think we'll ever do it again because in the summer, you know, there's these big doors, there's these big viewing platforms. They time you. You're allowed like 40 minutes of viewing per platform and then you have to leave. And so we had the full three hours to view the bears, walk around, eat lunch, go back to a platform, watch them. Like we were one of like three planes there and we were all leaving at different times. So at one point we were like one of two planes there. And so it was a total of, you know, 10 people, 12 people, 20 people maybe walking around these platforms where they say in the summer they let like 50 people on the platform at one time and they get 40 minutes And then they time you. And it's just, it wouldn't be as fun of an atmosphere. Like we had free reign. And so I think this is the best time to go. September, shoulder season. They're still active. They're still eating salmon. It's it's more chill. We had all kinds of time. And we were, yeah, it it was perfect. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, yeah. Everything you said, I agree with 100%. Really, really cool. I think like you can almost compare it to like, going to Glacier National Park, Yellowstone during peak season, but you paid $1,200 to get to that spot and now it's super busy. So, yeah, I don't know. It's just, it's an interesting look at it. Uh, like you said, I was really happy we did it. We would recommend everybody that's able to to do that. Moving on in the itinerary, that was the 21st. So the 22nd, well, we were there for two weeks, so it's going to seem like this all happened at one time and it kind of did, but the 22nd, we had another day in Homer. So what we ended up doing, this was kind of just fly by the seat of our pants, decide something. We took Mako's water taxi to Kachemak Bay State Park and we hiked to Gruink Glacier. And the boat ride was like half an hour. I think the hike was around five miles. It was pretty easy. We had beautiful weather. We hiked to the Glacier Lake. We stopped and had a picnic. We took photos. It was just a great day. Yeah, great weather, like, yeah, no rain, sun out all day, easy hike. It was, like, good to kind of, like, good change of pace from just kind of, like, sitting around and loafing a lot. Was not able, super busy. Not super busy. Yeah, I mean, cool pictures and stuff, so. I would highly recommend Gruen Glacier to people. I, I think I'd do it again. Yeah, I would, yeah. I mean, the trail was easy. It's I love glaciers, so it's always cool to see. I will say, though, like, hiking there is a little weird because they do get so much precipitation, The how muddy the trails are. Only for a little bit, though, in the forest. Yeah, but I mean, that's a lot of Alaska, though. Like, I don't know, that'd get really frustrating hiking through that for a while. Get your extra tufts. I guess, yeah. That's what that was, wants. so we both have extra tufts, the rain boots. We have never worn them more. Like, you have them on every day in Alaska, which makes sense, but it's just funny. So does everybody else. Yeah. yeah, like you don't wear them anywhere else. But And then the 23rd, this was kind of the transition day. We started our way towards Soldatna for our fishing lodge. So first, we stopped at, on our way, we stopped at a small lake, pretty much in a neighborhood. Like it was full of houses yeah. and float planes and all that kind of stuff. And we pack rafted and fly fished. And so Ethan probably wants to talk more about this. This was also just we wanted something to do before we checked in. And we found this little lake and it was a blast. Yeah, so the lake, Alaska does what a lot of other states do. They stock a lot of rainbow trout. This was one of the lakes that were stocked. It was just close by. I mean, like, I didn't read any information about good fishing or anything like that. Bear in mind, it is September, like we said. I thought a lot of the fish would be just kind of hovering around. Didn't think they'd be at top at all just because there wasn't much bug activity. And always, like, hatchery fish are kind of weird for dry flies. They're not really too keyed in on them all the time. So 
we started out with like leeches and stuff, really slow going, nothing really working. Sydney was kind of like over here, like drifting by these lily pads. And this is like, I was kind of thinking like, why is she over here? She was like, not going to catch anything. We're not bass fishing. We're trout fishing. I was like, okay, well, before we leave, because we were pretty much going to wrap it up. Like we kind of had our fun pack rafting around the lake. It was a still day, just kind of chilled out. Weren't catching much. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to throw this dry fly on. Like it's a little ant, little bionic ant, they call them. Super easy fly. I didn't have many dry flies because going in that time of year, I just thought there wouldn't be much action. So I, I threw one of those out and it was just like, boom. As soon as it hit the water, it was fish on. And that was pretty much the way it was for like, we could have stayed there all day and caught yeah, fish. I think we were there for like an hour and a half. I mean, they were mostly little fish, but we did catch a few big ones that, I mean, it was like probably as long as my arm. Yeah, we didn't have a net, which is... Yeah, because we, we were just in a little pack raft. Yeah. So no, that was a lot of fun. That was like a good like surprise little thing that came out of the trip. We just have to say, okay, we probably caught like... 50 fish yeah, at was... that little lake and that along with our guided fishing trip we caught probably over 150 fish each it was wild this trip yeah sydney was tired of catching fish by the end of this trip yeah i was like could i have done like a few more days of this yes but like it's honestly just not even fun at all. Well, no, it is. But yeah. like it was getting to that point where like every cast you were catching fish. Yeah. At that little lake. I mean, yeah, it was like to the point where Sydney and I kind of looked at each other and I was like, I think we kind of beat up on these guys enough. Like we should probably leave and do something else. It was super fun though. Yeah. No, it was, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I love lake fishing. I mean, it's a lot of fun, but that's a topic for especially, another day. Especially with the pack rafts. Yeah. Yeah. But then we went from that lake to our fishing lodge and so we ended up at all alaska outdoors in soldatna we checked in it was amazing we were upgraded i think to like a lakeview little suite type thing and so we had a view in the morning there were actually quite a few people there there were people ptarmigan hunting there were people fishing like us and there were lots of couples on their honeymoon too so that was really fun but we got there, we checked in, and we got our schedule for the week. And so before we talk about that, though, we can kind of talk about the lodge, the fishing experience, and why we chose them. Yeah. So if most people aren't familiar with like a fishing lodge, I'll just pick on like the Yellowstone River, for example. You will go. There's a bunch of lodges down there. You can go stay at you know lodges that are Orvis endorsed, local lodges, whatever. The f- let's say you do three nights and four days of fishing or whatever. What's going to happen is you're going to fish the Yellowstone. You fish different stretches, but you're only fishing the Yellowstone, maybe some feeder stuff. If they got anything around, like I know there's some spring creeks around there, but that's the only stretch you're fishing. You're fishing out of a boat every day. You kind of know what you're getting every day. So it's like the same, you know, fishing the same stretch of river. And there's nothing wrong with that. Like I would have fun doing that. But like, I know, like, and I, and I think to an extent I would even get bored by that fourth day being like, okay, I'm kind of ready to go. But like Sydney, I know would get bored after like the first second day from doing the same thing. Like, and you're floating the same stretch of river and it's like, I don't know. I just, it's, it's not very unique in that kind of sense. And that's not to dislodges at all. I, I would love to go on more, but what made it really cool because like Sydney kind of was teeing it up earlier was with the wildfly they kind of showed what they did at this lodge. And this was all Alaska outdoors where we were staying same place. They showed exactly like what they did and what they did really piqued Sydney's interest. And it piqued mine too. It looked like just a super fun trip, multi-species. And that's one thing I'll go back to these lodges, right? You're fishing Yellowstone. You're only, you know, chasing trout where Alaska, it's like, okay, you got all these different species you can chase. And yeah, you're kind of constrained by the time, right? Like September, you know, the pike fishing might not be as good as it is early in the year. Some of the high stuff grayling, maybe not as good as some of the other parts of the year. But if you really wanted to, you could have, we could have changed our itinerary or we could have did more days and chased all those kind of species. And we still caught a lot. Yeah. Of fish. Yeah. And a lot of different species and stuff. Yeah. But my attention span is that of a five-year-old. And so I knew when... Like, this was so fly by the seat of our pants. Like, we watch this video. I go, oh, my gosh, that looks so fun. I bet it's expensive. We look up the price online. 
And I'm like, it's really not that bad. And look at all the different stuff you get to do. How cool of an experience it is. Let's reach out. And yeah, they had an opening and it was like we did something different every day. And that was what really piqued my interest and made me want to do it. We had float plane experiences. We flew into a national park and did bear viewing. We did a river day. We did another river day, which we could have subbed out for something else, but we didn't. There were people ptarmigan hunting. They, like We could have done so much at this lodge, and we did. And it was every single day was jam-packed. We were catching fish. We were doing awesome, awesome stuff. And that's what made this experience so cool to me because it wasn't just a regular old fishing lodge where you fished the same stretch or the same lakes or the same place every single day. And that is kind of why we chose All Alaska Outdoors because it looked different to me. And maybe it's not that different, especially in Alaska. It's probably not all that different, but it it was awesome. And I can't stress that enough. Yeah. And like, you know, they gave us the, the money perspective. I'm like, okay, this is how much the trip would, like a, how much a full day float would be um, if you were just to book straight through them. And then also like we did the math basically on that plus like what you were paying a night. I mean, we weren't getting like hosed by any means. I mean, I feel like you say at some of these lodges, it's like, okay, you're staying at this nice super lodge. It's like $400 a night after you calculate it all out. It's like, how do I really need to stay somewhere for going fishing for $400 a night? So I think like you said, um, you know, just the experiences, like the float planes and all that stuff and the economic value of the trip, it was just greatly priced. And it was just, I don't know, all that together really like sold me on it. So. And I don't think I expected to do so much with the float planes. Yeah. But it was like, we were on so many float planes this yeah. trip um, and it was really fun. So we will jump right into what our itinerary looked like with all Alaska outdoors. So we got there, we checked in and they gave us our our itinerary. And so the 24th was our first day and we actually had a float trip. So we floated the Kenai. Do you remember who we floated with? So basically all Alaska outdoors is kind of a contract. Like they have contractors that they work with that like, you go to a different place to fish sometimes. And so we ended up at, I think it was Alaska River Adventures yep. um, in Cooper Landing. And so... And one thing I'll say about that too, I think it's really nice because let's say you look up, I want to fish the Kenai River. If you Google that right now, I don't know, probably 50 people are going to come up. The, I mean, the nice thing about going through like a lodge like this, they kind of vet you, like who's the best around. Yeah, like they want a reputable company right. working with them. So that's what we kind of knew we were getting already through them. So. And all I have to say is that first day set the bar so high. Um, so we floated the Kenai River in Cooper Landing with a guide named Eric out of Alaska River Adventures. Um, as you guys know, we're from the Midwest, but we currently live in Montana and Eric actually happened to be from Minnesota, where we're from, not the same area, but it was just fun, kind of the Midwest bonding. So that was awesome. But Eric was first and foremost a teacher. And we are experienced fly fishermen, but it was so, so cool because Eric, like, even if I, I mean, I always have questions and I always like to be critiqued because I know I'm not the best. And I'd be like, hey, can you watch my cast or like, hey, I'm going to cast it over there. Like, can you give me a pointer on how to get it over there? And he would watch me intently. He'd know exactly what to tell me. He was so great. He made the trip. I'm not even going to lie about yeah, it. Yeah, he did. Um, like, well, I like would soft, go back. And he was like soft-spoken, just like how he conveyed the things to you. I don't know. I just felt like it was really digestible. It wasn't like, oh, well, he's like saying it in a condescending manner or something. Yeah. Well, and he was so like he would get so hyped for us catching any fish. It didn't matter how big it was. He was just like, yeah, nice fish, man. Like, get it back in there. Next one. And his famous saying, because on the Kenai, like when you're in a boat, you're not really like casting. You're kind of just like mending it a lot and yeah, just picking it up and putting it back down on the other side of the boat type of thing. And I'd be like, oh, that was a bad cast. He goes, nope, you're fishing. Like if your line's in the water, you're fishing. And it was just so eye-opening to see how an Alaska guide does it. And it was a busy river, but we caught so many fish and some absolute hogs. Yeah, no. I think that's one of the best things. It's like 
yeah, we had a great day of fishing and Eric didn't have an excuse the whole day. Like some guides you go out with, um, I don't have much experience, but I know people are like, oh, well, the river's really pressured or it's not fishing too well. I mean, it's like. I mean, but he was up front with us at yeah. the beginning. Like he said, yeah, we pushed the um, trip this morning because we were supposed to start at like 7 or 8 a.m. But I think we started at 9. And he said. Yeah, the water temp was just getting yeah, colder. Yeah, he goes, so. I'm going to be honest, like it's going to be slow this morning. Mm-hmm. Like he didn't take us out and just have us start casting he's like no we're just going to do a little scenic float here in the morning and then we're going to get you on fish you know in a in an hour or two but he's like honestly the water's just so cold right now i mean because it's late season and he was yeah he was upfront and honest about it he gave us an awesome little tour of the river and pointed out stuff he had such an appreciation for you know the ecosystem, the, the ecosystem, the, river, the life, yeah. the river, the animals, us. Yeah. He like really appreciated us. And so we actually ended up requesting him for a different trip we had that week and we got him and it was awesome. Um, but we do have to do a little disclaimer here too. We weren't the only ones on this float trip and I don't know if we were expecting that, but the... the well, I think the big thing for us was that we were expecting like I don't know if many people listening, but a Western style drift boat where you have a rower in the middle, you have a front place for people to fish, um, one person, and then a back seat for another person to fish. I think that's what I was expecting. Yes, but the Alaska drift boats are massive. Like they fit five or six people. Yeah, so you can fish four in the front, two in the back, and then one in the middle for rowing. And it's, it's insane, but it was us the first day and this guy named Joe... And Joe was from the UK, um, and he was also a blast. He travels to Alaska every year to fish, and he just tries to do something different every year. And he was awesome. It was an older guy. He was retiring, and um, just you know the British accent and stuff was super fun. But like he was just such a fun guy to be with too. Yeah, I mean it's really interesting to listen to him talk about, and this is another podcast topic, but like the different style of how fishing is handled and how it's managed over in the UK versus how it's managed here. Like I think him just looking around and being like, you can fish all this public water and just anytime you want to. And we're like, yeah, yeah, you can. I mean, it's just like, I think he was just absolutely amazed about that kind of fact, which I mean, I don't know. It made me feel like super blessed that we're able to kind of have these watersheds and how they're managed. Um, all over the u.s yeah all over the u.s versus how something like is managed in the uk so but our first day our first day was really awesome we caught a ton of fish i caught an absolute hog yeah the story behind that was we're kind of we're just rowing underneath this bridge and eric goes hey you're gonna want to cast behind that that pillar right there just just do it and it immediately when i casted I caught this massive Dolly Varden, just huge, probably one of the biggest trout I've ever caught. And he was so proud of it. Eric texted me the next day, some pictures from our trip. And he says, I just keep thinking about that moment. Like it was such a proud moment as a guide being able to, you know, coach you through the earlier part of the morning and then have you cast that perfect cast and catch an awesome fish. He goes, it was just a highlight of the day and of, you know, the summer, he said, um, and so our first day, amazing. So that set the bar super high. And then the 25th was our second day. Well, I guess, okay, to back up one th- more thing. We are fishing for rainbow trout, Dolly Varden, and silver salmon. Um, and that was basically when you were floating the Kenai that time of year, that's what you're fishing. There's still sockeye in the river. Zombie fish. It's zombie fish, which is just crazy. Like I've never ha- been waiting and had a fish just come up and just rub me on my leg like that <laughs> like it was just so weird and then you know like and it's also funny like sydney would hook a sockeye and eric the guy would be like get that off yeah like don't touch it don't touch it like i don't want it yeah like horse it off and we're like i'm not used to doing this with any kind of fish you know so it's just funny and it's like you would see him all over the river like i remember literally bright wa- red decaying literally like asking eric at one time i was like did you hit a rock with that oar no, that was a sock guy. He just literally bashed a sock guy in the head because it's but like they're so they're dead. Yeah, they're dead. Yeah, and just half like, dead. They're still swimming, but they're dead. And it's so funny to see. And I mean, like, and I don't know, like, it's such a distinct smell. 
like when people think of fish markets, whatever, I mean, this is like a whole new level. Of like, I didn't get rid of the dead sockeye smell for like three days. Yeah. Like on the shore when we were fishing, it's just like, oh, sockeye there. Watch where your foot, watch where your foot oh is. Oh my gosh. Yeah. You'd step in one yeah. and it's like mushy. Oh, it's so gross. Like unintentionally stepping in one. Yeah. But they cover the banks. And I think something crazy that Eric said that took us by surprise was, I mean, we know that there's sockeye in the river and we know their importance for feeding bears and, you know, humans. You can catch so many. And just the life cycle of a sockeye is so weird. But he goes, sockeye are so important for every living thing in this ecosystem. And we're like, yeah, yeah. And he's like, think of it. It's in the soil. The soil feeds the trees and the plants. So it's in the trees and the plants. It's in the air particles because they're decaying. It's feeding birds and it's feeding other fish because other fish eat them. It's feeding bears. It's feeding whatever wants to eat them. He's like, it's literally in like sockeye DNA is in every single living thing along the Kenai. And it was so beautiful to hear someone have that perspective rather than just like, oh, it's a fish. Well, I think it's one of those things. I think what kind of spewed that conversation, you're like, oh, it's so sad that all these fish are dying. Yeah. I was kind of like, this is like, well, yeah, I'd hook one like unintentionally because they still are like eating things kind of just, you know, taking You see them like porpoise? Yes. And I'm like, oh, it's so sad. Like it's a dying fish. Like they're just dead and they're just, you know, fish might have feelings. I don't know. But like- I don't like to see an animal suffering. And it was just kind of funny because I'm like, oh, no, I hooked him, you know, and I'm like sad, like they're all dying and like the life cycle so weird. And he goes, yeah, but and it was really cool. Yeah, I just put a whole new perspective on that. So yeah, that kind of took us back for sure. Yeah, we we've been talking about that since just the life cycle of sockeye salmon and how important they are and how, how just how cool it is to experience that. And this is the second year we've experienced it. Last year, we were actually able to fish the sockeye run, and it was just super cool to see how, you know, humans gather to fill their freezers, bears gather to fill their tummies, like... Birds gather, yeah. Yeah, it's a a really cool thing to see. And so, moving on, right, that was our first day. That was a long first day intro, but the second day, we did a fly-in trip to Lake Clark National Park. And that was kind of like a bear viewing slash fishing day. You land in the national park, you see the bears along the shore of the lake, and you hop in a boat and you fish the river. We didn't have a ton of luck this day because the silvers were kind of on the tail end of running and it wasn't the greatest spot to fish, but we're not mad because we saw tons of bears and, you know, got to see a mama bear and two cubs that we're still feeding off the salmon and we were just, you know, a handful of yards away in a boat watching them eat. Like it was, it was a really cool day, just not a huge fishing day for us. Yeah. I mean, like you said, the bear viewing was just absolutely insane to be able to see like moms and the cubs and how they interact with like the mom would catch a salmon and eat all the good parts. And then one cub would grab the salmon and eat some. And then the other cat cub would grab the same salmon. And then like, all right, it was just fun to see them, how they would interact and just how they didn't care about us at all. Like, he literally bowed around with that outboard, shut it off, and the bear didn't even look at us. Like, it didn't care that we were there. I mean, it just, it, it's absolutely mind-blowing. It's hard to put into words the perspective and the views and everything that we got to see when we were there. And so, yeah, that second day, not huge for fishing, but we still, you know, had fun. We figured out Sydney can't use a spinning rod. I can't really use a spinning rod anymore, which is really sad, but um, it's fine. Um And then the third day was also a fly-in day. So we did what All Alaska Outdoors calls the ultimate expedition. So you fly in, and this was actually with Dr. Bob, the owner of All Alaska Outdoors. So he had us in his beaver, his own float plane. So we flew in to Kenai Fjords National Park. Um, They call it the Bay of Pigs. And What did we see on the flight, though? Oh, yeah. So it was a scenic flight. And we ended up seeing a herd of caribou. We ended up seeing... Doll sheep, mountain goats. Bears. Bears, yeah. Moose. Moose. Like, we saw every animal there. 
And he'd, we, fly, he'd fly you really close. Yeah, <laughs> he'd he'd fly you super close. And he asked if anyone got car sick. And I, you know, casually raised my hand. And he goes, all right, you're in for a treat. Because, you know, you you turn and you go down low and see these animals and you keep on your journey. But we flew right over the Harding ice field. Like, we saw so much. So it wasn't just flying into fish. It was a scenic flight. And it was really, really cool. I got some awesome pictures from the plane. Um, and then you fly over the Harding ice field, you see the glacier, and then you end up in the Bay of Pigs. And our main goal this day was catching salmon. And so we tried on a fly rod. We didn't have a ton of luck on a fly rod. They just, you know, it was the end of the silver salmon run. So they weren't eating or as active as they normally would be. But he, uh, Dr. Bob did everything he could to get us on those salmon. And we ended up using spinning rods that day. And something really cool that we did, like this was a highlight of the trip for me. We actually fished from the plane floats. So we were not having much luck from shore. And Dr. Bob, he walked around the entire little like inlet, the little lake we were at. And he goes, I see the salmon, but you're not going to reach them from shore. And so we actually, you know. Taxied around. Yeah, we taxied around and fished from the plane floats. And it was so freaking cool just like that he was okay doing that. And we, yeah, we caught salmon from the plane floats. And like we fought salmon while standing on these plane floats. And it was really cool. We have some cool videos yeah, I mean, like everybody talks about fish going underneath the boat. Like we had fish going underneath the plane that like Sydney had to stick the rod in the water to make sure that we didn't get our line cut. I mean, it was just crazy. Yeah. Well, and I think one of the funniest things of that day was we were with two older guys that were at the lodge um, and they were just shocked that this was our honeymoon. But then Dr. Bob is so used to having people that don't know how to fish or don't know how to fight a fish. And I'm reeling in the salmon and he goes, yeah, keep it, you know, keep it tight, whatever. And I'm doing everything right. And he goes, oh, so you guys actually know how to fish. And it was just so funny. I mean, we had never caught like a salmon like that, but um, just me fighting it. He was so shocked. And I, I mean, I was the only woman on the plane that day. So it was just kind of funny. And I caught the biggest fish. No big deal. Um, no, you didn't. Yeah, I did. Well, no, on the float plane. Um yeah, it was, he just wanted to make sure that we were going home with fish, and it was really awesome. So we caught salmon from the float plane floats, definitely a highlight. And then... I mean, I think like it kind of goes back to the same thing with Eric and Bob. It's like Dr. Bob was like, you can really tell when you have a good guide, and they really care about you. Um, and they're, they're working their tail off, and you can tell that. And I think that's one thing I really respected out of both those guys for being guides is like, they're doing everything they can. To like make us have the best day they can. Well, and we had, we had an awesome day. Like we have no complaints and we get back after the day is done. And Dr. Bob is like, oh, I'm so sorry. I couldn't get something for you on the fly rod. And we're like, who cares? Like we had awesome views. We took this plane ride. We caught our salmon. Like we have no complaints. But he was like, he was so sad for us that we couldn't catch anything on a fly rod and like just didn't have the big day that the groups before us had. Um, and yeah, it was just so cool to see that he really cared, even though, you know, we had an awesome time, but that same day, because that, that is a big thing for a lot of people to come up there and do the silvers on the fly and like check that off your, your bucket list. Cause that's really the only time and only place you can do that. So, well, and so the same day, it's a whole day thing. And so we were fishing from the plane, we beach it and we hike. And I don't know how far we hiked. It felt like forever, but Dr. Bob... You're in, you're in waders. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dr. Bob knew the way, but we hiked through the forest. We saw a bear. That was awesome. And it was this mossy forest. It was beautiful. I saw some mushrooms and tons of moss-covered trees. I was having a good old time. Um, and it was some sketchy hiking, actually. There were some like trees down and like cliffs and whatnot, but we get to where we're going. It's like a little inlet. And Dr. Bob goes, okay, yeah, you want to, you know, toss it over here. Like they're all going to be in this area. 
And we thought he was lying, but he tossed it in once and caught a fish. And he goes, this is where you're going to get your limit. And so he went, this is the craziest part. He went back (laughs) to get the float plane and left us there. He goes, yeah, you guys know what a silver salmon looks like. Keep it if you want. Um, Get your limit. I'm going to go get the float plane and meet you guys back here with the plane. And he's gone. We're having a good time. We're fighting some big fish. Some of them were Dolly Vardens. Some were salmon. And all of a sudden, the two the two jokester guys were with the old guys. I hear someone say, oh, there's a bear. And I'm thinking like, oh, he's joking. He was joking with us all day. And he's fighting a fish at the same time. Yeah. And he's fighting a fish. And so we're just like, oh, is he talking like big fish? Like, what is he talking about? And this black bear comes walking up the beach. Granted, I have a dead salmon on the shore. That's mine. And Dr. Bob is nowhere in sight. We don't have bear spray or anything because he can't bring it on a plane. And I'm like, oh, my God, a bear. Like, And these two old guys are like, we'll save the day, right? They start throwing rocks at this bear. They're not freaking out. And I'm just like, okay, I'm going to grab my salmon and put it in the water. Like, I don't want to leave a dead, smelly fish on the shore. Like, that was also super funny. Those two guys were such a hoot. Um, and then, yeah, Bob came back with the plane. He helped us, you know, get the fish into the plane and we took off. Yeah, I guess one thing I'll say about that, I think the lodge experience that I guess I wasn't really anticipating was the interaction with other people and the people we got to meet because they are like-minded people, right? Like they wanted to be there to hunt. They want to be there to fish. And they're also super down to earth, fun people. So I don't know, that was a cool kind of little side note was like, we weren't really expecting that, but it was definitely really cool to meet people like that for sure. And then our fourth and final day, we did another float trip on the Kenai and we had the option to sub this out for, it was supposed to be like a deep sea fishing trip, but that's not the time of year to do it. Um, and so we subbed it for a river trip, but we could have done another fly in. I guess we just didn't know what to pick. So we picked another river day because that's something we are comfortable with and know how to do. And it was kind of just a fun experience day. Like we had already caught all the fish. He was just going to put us in some spots to catch big fish, catch some salmon. And Ethan wanted to... different section of the river kind of different... And Ethan wanted to learn how to trout spay. So we took it easy this day. We still caught a lot of freaking fish. Um... But it was only us on the boat this day. And we also had Eric again. So that was awesome. But a highlight for me, and then Ethan can talk about trout spaying and whatnot. But um, a highlight for me was the first river day, he couldn't find us any salmon, which is totally cool. We caught a bunch of trout. But this day he goes, we're just going to try this hole. Well, no, we we did find that silver and I hooked it, but I messed up the hook set. Oh, that first day? Because... For anybody that doesn't know, you're throwing these, not big streamers, but decent-sized streamers. And basically, when these salmon are eating, it's a reactionary strike. They're not really necessarily hunting or anything like that. But you basically strip in front of their face. And as soon as you feel like a little resistance, you don't want to like what's called a trout set, which is lift your arm like you would any other hook set. You have to keep it. You have to keep stripping line. And I messed that up and I fumbled the line and we missed it. That was our only opportunity that day. The first day. Which wasn't a big deal. Like, it wasn't a deal breaker for us, but. But, and we knew salmon fishing would be slow. Yeah. And so, the second day, he, we're, we're like almost done for the day. And he goes, we're just going to try this hole one more time. And he put us in this little inlet. I don't know what to call it. Like, creek stream off of the Kenai. And. He goes, I know there's salmon in there. I just don't know if they're going to be active right now. And and one thing I'll say about it too is like, were you expecting like to get a bite there? Like I was fully expecting like, I'm just going to fish. I don't really expect it. Like, you know, sometimes you go up to water and you're like, dang, this is so juicy. Like I am going to catch a fish out of here, like no matter what. Well, but here's to set the scene. We're not in the sun because the little inlet that we were fishing was like, covered by like cliffs and trees yeah. and stuff and so we're in the shade it's dark there's dead salmon floating around us like dead sockeye yeah. you're stepping in them on the shore and it's like okay is there really anything over here like what are we gonna catch here and we both were fishing we probably threw like 10 15 casts and i go i'm on one 
And then Ethan goes... Well, like, didn't you feel like a little resistance? You're like, you didn't really no, know. No, no. It it didn't take it as hard as I thought, but it did take it. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm on one. And so I'm stripping it. I'm stripping it. And then Ethan goes, I think I'm on one, but it's not fighting. So I think it's dead. Well, no, because basically what happened, you, you caught one. And I was like, okay, awesome. You know, like, I was about ready to stop and help you. And I see like... And so the sockeye salmon at this time of the year are super red. And I see this red thing kind of like swimming through the water kind of high in the water column i'm like oh my god it's just a sockeye but i still threw it out and i threw it right in front of the fish it was a good cast and the fish took it and i and so then he's like well shit i just caught a sockeye yeah i was like oh my god it's a sockeye like eric help sydney let's get make sure we get this silver and you know and eric takes a look at it and no it is not. It was a silver. It was a silver. It was just, it was a little past prime. You could tell it entered the river pretty So we early. didn't keep it. Yeah, so we didn't keep it, but we did have two silvers. So we doubled up on silvers. Two and silvers this, in the net. This freaking guy nets them both. It was awesome. And so we have a really sick picture of both of us holding a silver salmon. What did he say? It was the first time a woman caught a silver salmon on the fly? On the fly. Yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, it was, Eric was so excited and we have a really cool picture that he took. So that was awesome. Um, and then, yeah, we spent the rest of the day kind of just taking it easy. I'm not going to lie. My shoulder was hurting. Yeah, from, like, <laughs> We casted so much that week. Because we, like there'd be certain points where you didn't want to fish because, you know, you were shallow or whatever. And Eric would just say, all right, lines up, you know, take a seat. And then we'd be like, all right, you guys can fish again. And then he's like, yeah, I might just sit a couple more <laughs> minutes. I think I'm good. And I will say like, you know. So you're fishing, you know, strong water current, strong fish. Like even my arm, my wrist was definitely hurting by the end of it. So it it was awesome though. And that was, yeah, that was the end of our, our day. But do you want to talk about trout spaying at all? He just, he took some time and really taught you. And that was awesome. Yeah. Cause I guess, you know, trout spay is pretty specific. You know, it's not the most effective way to fish. Um, but like, I've never really actually had the opportunity to like learn from anybody. I've tried it a little bit on my own. With anything, when you're trying to teach yourself, usually you just get frustrated and like I was doing absolutely everything wrong. So he gave me some really good fine pointers. I've been able to use it a little bit around here and go out and just kind of open up a whole new world of fishing for me, especially like those larger rivers, um, to be able to like really cover a lot of that water area from shoreline to shoreline. It's just a super fun way to fish. The casting is super addicting. Like my cast wasn't super pretty by any means, but like, I don't know, I thought it looked cool and was fun. And Sydney, I tried to get Sydney to do it, but Sydney said, not till you're good. Yeah. But it was really cool that Eric took the time to teach you. Yeah. So he was just such a great guide. Um, we're hoping to get my dad up there next year and get Eric again if he's there. So we'll see. But so that was the end of our lodge experience. It was awesome. We had a fantastic honeymoon. Ethan did end up catching the biggest fish. I was the reigning champ, but right at the end of our ultimate expedition day, he caught a massive salmon. And yeah, he t he took the cake on that one. But um, it was an awesome, awesome trip. Nothing bad we can say. And so there were a few general things we experienced just in Alaska and wanted to talk about on the podcast. So Ethan, do you want to start? Yeah, I guess one thing, you know, I think... Deep sea fishing, I won't get into it too much, but it's like, I think a lot of people go to Alaska and that's what they think they're going to do is go fish for halibut. I don't know. I guess for me, it's like, from what I've heard, it's like a three, three hour boat ride or is it one way. And then, you know, you're going to these mud flats that are three hours offshore and rough water in the ocean and fishing for halibut. And just like, it didn't really sound fun to us when we could have these other, these other things we wanted to do. I don't know if there's anything you want to add to that. We might still do it one day. My dad really wants to do it, but like we, I think we convinced him otherwise, but I mean, we'll it, see. It is like the epicenter. It's like the thing that people do when they go to Alaska, Yeah, like right? they, you want to bring fish home. But it's like, like a halibut offshore sockeye salmon in the river. That's the ultimate like Alaska experience basically for fishing. But I get really seasick, so automatically I'm like, this sounds like a nightmare, but yeah, we'll see if we end up doing it one day. It could be fun, could be not. We did hear a tip uh, to not go out of Homer or Seward and to instead go out of Whittier. And they say that that might be better for just seasickness and you don't have to go as far and that kind of thing. So we'll see. But I'm glad we didn't do it this trip. I mean, we still brought fish home. So 
Um, and then the next thing was, is king crab worth it at a restaurant? We ate a lot of seafood this trip. Our favorite is scallops. We love scallops. We like the boils that they do. So like mussels and shrimp and scallops and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I was like, man, we're in Alaska. I'm going to get king crab. And I'm going to just say it. It was not worth it. It was not better, I don't think, than any other crab we've had. And the legs were huge, which I understand the allure, but they were hard to freaking crack. So I made a mess at the restaurant. So I would say king crab is not worth it. Just go with, you know, snow crab or seasonal crab or whatever's cheapest. Yeah, we had to do it once, especially being on our honeymoon. I mean, you see it on all the menus, right? You're like king crab and you're like, and it always says market price. So you don't really know what it's going to be. So we just took a shot in the dark and... I mean, like, I'm pretty sure it was last It was last year's crab leftovers, right? Yeah, because it's not in season. It wasn't in season. So it wasn't, like, absolutely fresh. So maybe that had something to do with it. But, I mean, yeah, the legs were kind of, like, rubbery. Like, I don't know. It just, like you said, it wasn't the best crab. Um, so that was something that's funny because I do feel like that's another big thing when you go to Alaska is crab. Um, so the next thing is the type of fishing that we were doing when we were fly fishing. So a lot of the purists, like, hate the fly fishing that we were doing but it is the most effective for alaska and netted a lot of fish for us so essentially right you i mean like i think it's kind of weird because in fly fishing you always say you want to match the hatch quote unquote match whatever they're eating and what they're eating that time of year is the sockeye eggs because there's so many sockeye in the river so what we were fishing were beads um so if anybody's not familiar you basically slide a bead onto your line that beads like free floating and then you peg it about three inches above uh, just a bare hook and that's how we caught our fish um i don't know you put an indicator on it i mean i don't care who you are how much you fished what you fish for seeing an indicator go down um and setting the hook and putting it all together on a boat like that on a river a fast moving river i mean like I, it just it was amazing and i think one of the cool things too was so the water has what's called a glacier tint to it so it's super clear water, but it has a what's a tint to the water. So you can't ever really see more than, I don't know, a couple feet, not even a feet, a couple inches. Like it wasn't, it's not dirty water, but it's got a glacier tint to it. Um, and it was awesome because like you didn't need to make these big long casts. It was perfect for me. Yeah. Like Sydney, kind of like Sydney said, you were kind of picking it up, throwing it back down. Wasn't very any complicated. You didn't have to be in a certain current seam. Because these fish were basically all over the river because the sockeye's eggs were floating all over the river. And Sydney, like like, like Sydney was saying, it was like you kind of landed a cast that you're like, oh, I don't really feel great about that cast. Um, especially, you know, if you were dry fly fishing and you landed a cast like that, the first thing you'd want to do is pick that thing up and recast it. But the best thing about here was it was like you're fishing. And that's kind of what Eric kept saying was you're fishing. If your line's in the water, you're fishing. Like you have a chance at catching something. And and more often than not, right, the indicator went down in places that you're like, I would have never thought there'd be a fish there. Like, if I was looking at this section of river, anywhere in the lower 48, I'd have been like, there's no way there's a fish there. And little do you know, there's a lot of fish there. Um, So the kind of fishing and the kind of species was Dolly Varden, which are also known as bull trout. Caught a lot of those. Really beautiful, really cool fish. And then we caught some absolute tank rainbows. Um, And what's really cool about the rainbows there is they're actually native there so it's the only place that they aren't stocked um only place in north america yeah you're gonna find uh non-stocked rainbow trout that have been there you know before we even came to america so that's you know really really cool there's steelhead that new runs there um i don't know it's a really really cool river a lot of fun there um and then I guess you can keep talking because we already talked about all living things. Yeah. So, yeah, I know the Kenai River is just really, really special. It's a really busy river. They see it's a lot of pressure, but I don't know. It's it's super fun. We didn't get it to do like the mousing that you kind of see for that's Alaska's famous for. Um, I'd like to do that again sometime, but I'll make another probably podcast just about maybe some more about the Kenai and kind of what I learned about it. Um. So with the salmon that we did keep, we got to bring some fish home. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about this. So that was a big thing was we weren't really banking on bringing fish home. We were kind of like, you know, if it happens, it happens. Well, 
we didn't know how to bring fish home. We've heard that you can ship it. We've heard to bring it on the plane with you. And that's what we did. And so we show up to the airport with this fish box that a lot of people have. And we ended up bringing home like 30 pounds of salmon. And I walk up to the counter and I go, uh, we have fish. Like, what do we do? And she goes, oh, you can just pay for it here. Here's a sticker. Like that, that was it. And we wrote our names on it and we picked it up at baggage claim. Right. It was just like luggage. Yeah. And so that was awesome. Super easy process. But the only thing we have to say is there's a few ways to ship it. Our lodge basically just froze it all, put it in the box and we took it home. They didn't put any ice in it. They didn't put dry ice in with it. It was just frozen fish. So make sure that wherever you're traveling to, you can get home within you know, 24 hours so that your fish isn't thawing. Um, and what saved us there was like once we left the lodge, we had, you know, it was like we were flying out the night. We left the lodge. So we had somewhere to store the fish in a freezer. At our friend's house. Where like, you know, if you were staying in a hotel, I don't know what you would have done. You would no, have- I think they say make sure that you can get your fish in a freezer within 48 hours. So you have about two days to bring it home. We had, you know, we had it with us for three hours, put it in a freezer, and then we had it with us for like 12. But every hour it gets closer to like 48. It kind of makes me a little nervous. Yeah, but but it was awesome. So we brought fish home. And I guess the last thing we have to talk about is our next trip to Alaska. And I'm actually going back in March um, because my the friend that we stay with is pregnant and she's having her baby. And I'm also going back in June because I have a shoot. Um, So, yeah, hit me up if you want to elope in Alaska. I got you. Um, But then our next trip together is in July. And we're actually bringing my parents. My parents have always wanted to go to Alaska. It's been on their bucket list for a while. And we are actually gifting them their plane tickets because we are Alaska credit card holders. And we have so many points that we don't know what to do with. I mean, we do, but no way we'd ever use them. So we're actually gifting my parents um, their tickets to Alaska with points. So that's awesome. And we're going in July. And we're just kind of in the first, you know, steps of planning here. But it is looking like we're going to be doing some fishing. Yeah, no. Besides that trip, I'd like to do a trip just for grayling. Like a DIY trip. I'll go back to Alaska as many times as you want me to. (laughs) We love that place. Yeah, no, it is It is really cool. I think the one thing that I guess I should have mentioned earlier was like, I feel like I've been to Alaska a few times. I mean, I have been to Alaska a few times, but it's like the small percent of Alaska that we have seen is yeah, just like, crazy. We've spent a month there total. Yeah. Well, I've even spent longer. I was there in August this year too. And it's like, we have seen like 2%, not even 1% of what you can see there. Yeah. And so it's kind of overwhelming planning trips and being like, okay, well, we've already done this, but like we didn't get to do it all. Yeah. Or like we've been to this area, but like we didn't get to see it all. And so planning trips is kind of hard because we have so much we still want to do. And it's just the logistics around there is just crazy. Just everything's so far apart. Everything's so far apart. Yeah. So it takes planning to a whole other level, but no, it's got some more trips planned there for next year that we're super stoked about. So. Look forward to it. Thanks for tuning in to our Honeymoon Itinerary Alaska podcast. Hope you enjoyed. We kind of talked for a long time. Yeah, we did. So thanks everyone for listening. See you guys next time.